another white boy with a podcast. Pronouns, Jim Bro, another white boy with a podcast. Do you want to see the video? It went viral. Hi, Gains Gurus, and welcome to TMGP, the Muscle Growth Podcast, Episode 9. I am your host, Roscoe, and today we are welcoming Jared Maynard, a seasoned physical therapist with nine years of experience in physiotherapy onto the show. With a remarkable journey spanning 17 years in the realm of lifting, Jared has dedicated eight years to guiding and supporting individuals in their fitness journeys, particularly in the challenging environment of the gym. Despite his extensive background in healthcare, Jared acknowledges its shortcomings, especially in addressing injuries. His personal encounter with health struggles took a significant turn when he fell critically ill, spending five weeks in the ICU due to HLH disease. Enduring a 40-pound weight loss, predominantly lean tissue, Jared attributes his survival to the initial muscle tissue he had built over the years. Now weighing over 180 pounds, a remarkable recovery from his ICU weight of 150 pounds, Jared underscores the importance of muscle for longevity and for overall well-being. His story embodies the essence of bouncing back with a focus on strength and muscle memory, helping to bring him back to his original 193 pounds from his time in the ICU and his current resilient state. In the face of adversity, Jared has embraced resistance training since June 2023, making a triumphant return to the early stages of getting back on his feet. Despite relying on a walker and a cane initially, Jared remains determined and trusts the process, seeking inspiration and motivation from his own journey. Adding to his resilience, Jared has enlisted the help of a coach in his business, emphasizing the power of teamwork and support in overcoming challenges. Now, with a focus on resistance training, Jared is an inspirational force, motivating others through his courage and determination. Looking ahead, Jared has set ambitious goals, aiming to participate in a powerlifting meet this year. Undeterred by setbacks, he plans to compete in two to three meets, targeting personal records and pushing his limits. Beyond the weights and gym, Jared embodies a holistic lifestyle, balancing marriage and three children with a commitment to time management and ongoing research in his practice. His aim is to make the journey sustainable, enjoyable and beneficial, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Join us as we delve into Jared's extraordinary journey, discovering the super inspirational individual who epitomizes the power of resilience, determination, and the enduring spirit of a true powerhouse. Hi, Jared. Roscoe, how's it going, man? I'm doing all right. Just finished the little stunt with COVID, so getting better. And yourself? I'm doing okay. COVID's never fun. Uh, I went through, not COVID, but a bout of pneumonia, and I had to have three courses of antibiotics uh, through like November, December. Finally doing better. So we're making it. Hopefully you're feeling better too. I'm feeling a lot better, but it sounds like 2024 is going to be on the, on the up for both of us. I agree. <laughs> Fantastic. So Jared, can you please give us a little bit of an introduction about yourself? Absolutely. So I'm Jared Maynard. I'm a physical therapist or physiotherapist up in Canada, a little west of Toronto. 
Um, I'm also a competitive powerlifter, powerlifting coach. Uh, I'm the founder of Unbreakable Strength, which is a coaching platform primarily for strength athletes, a lot of powerlifters, but really it runs the spectrum of people who are just getting into strength training for whatever reason, all the way up to people competing at the international and world level. We've got competitors there, which is awesome. Uh, I'm also involved in a small business uh, incubator called the Honey Badger Project, which is part of what allowed me to bring unbreakable strength to life as far as my business. And now I'm on staff helping other people do that. Uh, and I'm a girl dad. I've got three young girls at home to keep me on my toes. Thank God for my wife. She keeps us all alive. And uh, yeah, man, I'm excited to be able to chat with you. So thanks for the invite. Only a pleasure. And I look forward to hearing everything you've got to tell us. What initially got you interested in becoming a physio? So I knew in high school that I wanted to get into some sort of medical field, wanted to be involved in healthcare. And then I did a bit of research into, you know, what, what it was going to be involving to be a doctor. And I realized that I just didn't have the heart to go through all that, uh, all that extra schooling, but physiotherapist was sort of a nice substitution. And then, uh, I played sports, primarily football in high school, uh, a little bit of basketball before that, but football was the main thing. Um, didn't have too many injuries, but that also led to me shadowing some physios at different clinics. And then that's what got me uh, to make the decision. Physio was going to be the route to go through. So did my undergrad in kinesiology and then got into physio school and then kept trailblazing from there. And when did you start Unbreakable Strength? So I kind of unofficially, well, not unofficially, it started under a different name with uh, a friend of mine. We were business partners at the time in 2016. We started to coach a small number of athletes that he knew or I knew. It was a different name at the time, uh, and it only got so big. It was fine. It was very much a side hustle. And then when he and I, the friend and I, parted ways, um, I kept a small roster of lifters who I kept coaching. Um, but in 2020, uh, right around when COVID hit everybody in different ways, but around that time frame, my physio clinic that I was working at closed down for a, a good while. And uh, long story short, a, a connection of mine through some other people in the physio world, I knew he had a very successful digital facing business for fighters. And then my good friend and now business partner, his name is John Flagg, uh, had also been scaling his coaching business. So I decided, you know, in the midst of not being able to be in the clinic, I wanted to start to revamp my coaching business, do it right, start to build it bigger. So that I had the freedom to still work with lifters with power lifters in particular, uh, and then also have the flexibility and freedom to do it from wherever at home or whatever was going to come around. So started 2016, but really revamped it starting 2020. And where, where is home? Uh, right now I'm near Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. So about two and a half hours West northwest of, of Toronto. But I live out in the country where there are horses and buggies on the road, which is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And how's the weather at the moment there? Very pretty snowy. Cold. Yeah, cold and snowy. So very cold. <laughs> very cold. We uh, didn't have much snow through December, but we apparently saved all the snow for January. So we're good. Okay, exciting. You can have a delayed Christmas um, snowman. Yeah, exactly. 
And sorry if I missed it, but what was your previous job? You said it was a side hustle originally. What were you doing as your main main occupation? Yeah, so I graduated physio school in 2015. <clears throat> so my main job was working in a physio clinic. And yeah, I, I've worked in a clinic, different clinics from 2015 until 2021. And then uh, in summer of 2021 was when I went full time with my business and then also with the Honey Badger Project, that small business incubator. So yeah, the side hustle was just something I did, something I did on the weekends really when I wasn't in the clinic and wanted to get more of a fix of, of working with lifters and help people getting strong. So you've been a physio for about nine years and lifting for 17 years. Is that correct? You got it. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. And what do you prefer? Do you prefer helping people or, or, or getting stronger yourself or a bit of both? Oh, it definitely has to be both. I don't know if I could choose between the two and helping people. It's definitely a calling for me. It's the reason I wanted to get into healthcare in the first place, you know, helping in some way, shape or form in the medical field. Um, and I've, I've always loved getting strong, especially when I started lifting weights in my parents' basement at, you know, 16, uh, to get better at football. And then I was never naturally athletic. So knowing I could go into the gym, just keep showing up consistently work hard and I would get better, get stronger. I build muscle. That was pretty addicting to me. So I've always loved it from that moment on. And then we'll get into it, I'm sure. But especially this past year, uh, being strong and having enough muscle on my frame has become that much more important to, to the point where it literally saved my life. And football, is that soccer or American football? That's American football. Yeah. The, the, okay. Okay. the rest of the world properly calls soccer football. Yeah. I'm referring to the American version though. Okay. That's cool. And like in terms of injuries and things from American football, you said you were actually okay. Mostly. I was, yeah, I was lucky that way. One of the lucky ones. I was. Yeah. And I think the worst that I had when I was playing was, you know, a couple of of times where my elbow would smack someone else's face mask and I got a bruise or, you know, a bit of a welt. Um, don't think I ever, I never broke anything. Don't even think I really rolled an ankle. Um, but later on, this would have been 2016, uh, far after my own playing days, I volunteered with a, a local football team to be the, the athletic trainer for them. And, uh, I saw some nasty injuries, unfortunately for some of those boys, but, I, I mostly emerged unscathed. I'm glad to hear that you got out unscathed and, and things. And uh, oh, we mentioned there that you got into the healthcare industry. Let's chat about that. We mentioned it in our topic discussion call that the healthcare industry, in, not for everyone, but in general, sucks. Let's elaborate a little bit on, on that. Absolutely. So... When it comes to healthcare by and large, and I know it's going to vary a lot depending on where people live, uh, which country they're in, you know, a bunch of factors that go into it. But in general, especially for people who are athletes or lifters, um, people who like to stay active, when most of us probably can relate to going to either a doctor or a physio or some other healthcare professional and having some sort of issue that maybe gets in the way of us training, competing in our sport, doing the things that we love. 
And then either the professional looks at us with a blank stare. We have no idea what we're talking about when talk, someone says, I'm trying to do a clean and jerk. And every time I try to do it over 120 kilos, my shoulder, you know, gets, gets wonky. And they're like, a clean and what? What is that? Or we hear, oh, you shouldn't be lifting that heavy anyway. Deadlifting's bad for your back. Any number of these things. And one, it's just, it's outdated. It's, it's usually poorly informed because uh, the research would show that the upsides far outweigh any risks. <clears throat> and also that the injury risk is usually pretty low especially if we're talking about strength sports. Um, but even beyond that, you know, it's tough to, it's tough to have a lot of confidence that if you go ask someone for help to deal with whatever the issue is, that they're going to give you a plan that makes sense to you and allows you to stay under the bar in the gym, playing your sport and also helps to fix the issue. And I've both experienced that as the person looking for the help, I've been on the other side of it as the professional seeing abysmal support being offered to, to people, lifters and athletes again, especially. So it's just a broad problem. There's some positive change happening, but it's happening slowly and uh, we definitely need more of it. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I've had so many misdiagnoses from doctors and uh, for various sports injuries and none of them could agree on the actual injury and um yeah it, it, it's really sad because like you're paying all that money to go to sometimes a specialist and then when the specialist says one thing and another specialist says another thing and you're like well who do i who do i trust now and it's like well you can't trust anyone and you've got to listen to your body which is also super difficult especially when you have no knowledge in biology you don't have a a doc, like a degree in medicine or anything like that so you were kind of hoping that you would spend good money and get good advice but like you mentioned the advice is typically don't lift weights or don't lift heavy and it's like that's outrageously outdated uninformed and really bad advice in my opinion i agree don't lift heavy with bad form sure like i get that don't ego lift but like sometimes you're going to go for a PR. It's going to be a little bit of ego, hopefully a little bit. Like you don't want to just like, you know, do a casual PR. Like there's no such thing as a casual PR unless you're like really new to the gym. Like I had a similar thing with my Cairo. He's one of the best Cairos. Obviously I, he's one, my Cairo, so I'm going to be biased, but in my opinion is one of the best Cairos here in South Africa. And um, his advice was don't deadlift because I hurt myself deadlifting. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's really not, that's like, no, I'm not, I'm not, that's not gonna, gonna happen. Um, and the other thing about the doctors is a lot of them don't lift themselves and a lot of them are overweight and undertrained. And, uh, like you mentioned, uninformed, I don't think they stay up to date with the literature because maybe they're just so busy. And back in the day they were taught X as, as science and as a undisputed fact. But I think that, like you mentioned, it is getting better. But how do you think people can mitigate uh, the lack of knowledge and the lack of forward thinking from professionals when, they, when they're looking for help? And how do you think people can try and get better help and better advice in general? Yeah. Um, I think you're first. I think you're exactly right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, 
I can't speak to the medical medical curricula, you know, across med schools across the world. I haven't attended them, but I know for physical therapy schools or physio schools, um, when it comes to strength and conditioning, exercise physiology, let alone any particulars about lifting form and what the research says, we got one lecture and that was even a pretty poor lecture. So, you know, if that's the case for us as physios, I, I have to imagine there's probably even less for most of the doctors or whatever the case. So I do think there's a systemic issue that way. Um, but as far as what people can do, I think we're in a, an age it might sound kind of dramatic, but especially over the last four years or so where there's been so much more acceptance of either consuming information from different people and sources online, uh, especially who are well-versed in a particular area, whether it's rehab and injury, whether it's hypertrophy, strength training, pick your, you know, your area. Uh, we can we can kind of curate who we get information from uh, through social media, YouTube, any number of resources, and then also finding finding professionals, especially if you're you know in a position where you're looking for help. If you can find somebody who offers services um, that might or that sound like they might be useful for you, and especially if you can kind of vet them, you can see how they approach situations, uh, involving injury, you know, do they care about keeping lifters lifting? If so, okay. There's a, probably a decent start. Have they done that before? Is the, do they have other people like you that they've helped? Um, all those are questions that you can start to look through and, and assess and figure out if that person might be able to help you wherever you are. So I think curating our, our resources is the first step. It doesn't mean having to become an expert yourself. Um, we only have so much time and energy and not everyone has the, the will or the energy or the time to effectively create their own degree program in physio or medicine or whatever. But uh, there, are, there are good people and resources to lean on. And then especially if we're looking for help ourselves, uh, you know, investigating those options and, and asking around. I think those might be two good places to start. Absolutely. So basically summarize, learn the basics so that if the docs is giving you absolutely wrong advice, you can be like, okay, well, I'm going to try someone else and then try and vet the information and try and make sure that the people that you're getting the information from at least use the science to back up what they say and maybe have other professionals agreeing with them, hopefully. Absolutely. In terms of, we mentioned injuries earlier. What are your steps or key pointers for recovering from an injury? Let, let's actually, let's make it make more sense from a timeline perspective. Let's say first preventing an injury. And then secondly, everyone's going to get injured. Like if you live an entire life without getting injured, like, I don't know what you were doing, but you're either really, really special or you didn't live. Like, I don't know what you did, but you need to tell me how you did that because injuries just they happen like you can literally injure yourself in the shower like doing nothing that's why it's like might as well injure yourself lifting flipping heavy numbers rather than like getting out of bed you know that's that's my philosophy but rather don't injure yourself obviously but like you know if you're gonna do it do it do it properly no i'm kidding just what are your thoughts i agree i agree there's you know people talk about injury risk how do you prevent injury 
And I mean, there's always risk with anything. You can get hurt getting out of bed, crossing the street, doing any number of things. Uh, and we, as humans, we accept a certain amount of risk for the things that have at least an appropriate amount of, of benefit or reward. So as far as lifting heavy, uh, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm biased, but I think it's, a, it's the right bias. Um, not only because lifting heavy is fun and amazing, but also because based on the research, it leads to uh, protective effects from disease, from dying early, from, you know, all cause mortality, all these different things. Um, and getting stronger, becoming more robust physically uh, is it in itself protective against other injuries. And there are ways to still try to keep things as relatively safe as possible in the gym while you're lifting and all that stuff. Um, if the question is, all right, so say you got hurt, you know, unfortunately, because it might happen, what do you do? Um, first thing is, I mean, first of all, it sucks. It sucks getting hurt. I've been hurt a number of times myself in different ways. I had a, a hamstring injury that took me two years to figure out. I was able to figure it out better once I actually got some help from another physiotherapist who lifts. So it's going back to what we talked about before, but hamstring, back, shoulder tendonitis, uh, I've had a bunch. So first step is to try to remain calm as much as possible. There are very rare circumstances where there might be some red flag signs where, I mean, if you've got persistent and worsening pain that doesn't go away, it just keeps getting worse. That's a sign you got to go get checked out. If you lose control of like your bowel or bladder function, that's a red flag. You got to go checked out. So thankfully those things don't happen all that often when we're talking about injuries in the gym, but if you can do a quick check and make sure that, you know, there's nothing super scary going on, that's great. If you want to make sure there's nothing super scary going on, that's where getting some help uh, and getting evaluated by a professional is really helpful. doesn't even necessarily have to be someone who lifts, but that's step one, just kind of cover those bases. After that, this is the process that I take people through uh, when, when I work with them is we want to kind of get a lay of the land and figure out what happened. When did this injury occur? Was it all of a sudden on that third deadlift repetition at 415? Or was this something that kind of built up over the last two months, four months, six months? Um, what sort of movements or triggers make it worse? Is it particularly bad when you get up to a certain amount of weight? You know, you can hit 225 and that's fine. Pounds, I'm switching to pounds now. 225, 315, that's all fine. But once you get to 405 and above, then you start to feel your back pain. That might be an intensity trigger. We could identify and, and figure out what to do with. Uh, same thing with volume. You know, maybe you've got knee pain with squatting. And when you do your three sets of eight, the knee doesn't like it. But if you were doing, you know, say lower volume work, you're doing sets of four or five on some squatting movement, maybe it doesn't hurt. Fair enough. There's maybe a volume trigger there. Uh, we can also look at range of motion. You know, it's take the same knee problem. It hurts when you get to the bottom of the squat, but it's fine for the first half or two thirds of the movement. All that helps us to kind of figure out where we're sitting right now, what's going on and what, what we have to play with, because we want to ideally keep an athlete training for their sport, competing in their sport, 
if we're talking about people in the gym, we want to keep them lifting, you know, for hypertrophy or strength or whatever it is that they care about. And we can do that by manipulating those variables. So if there's an intensity trigger for your back pain, okay, how can we choose exercise variations that still allow you to train your posterior chain, your back, your lats, your glutes, your hands, uh, without bringing on as much or any of that pain or those symptoms that you're having when it's volume. Okay. How can we either reduce the volume or spread that volume out? So you still get the stimulus that you're looking for, for hypertrophy, for strength adaptations, but it's just more manageable. Same thing for range of motion. And this is where I find it to be the most fun, honestly, um, working through that process with somebody, especially when you find that first win, the first kind of foot in the door where someone was afraid they wouldn't be able to lift. And then you figure out a way that they can still deadlift and deadlift even relatively heavy and feel decent after amazing. Cause I mean, we'll probably touch on it more, but, uh, for a lot of us, we're not just in the gym simply for the physical changes. Those are amazing. You know, adding more lean tissue, being able to put up another PR, those, those rock, um, for a lot of us, it's an identity thing too. You know, gym is our second home. Uh, it is a release of stress and, you know, uh, it's an outlet for all that stuff helps us to show up better at home at work, uh, take care of our clients. So as much as possible, I try to keep, keep that, whoever it is, um, keep that lifter doing what they love and what they care about while we address the issue. Absolutely makes some fantastic points and some good tips for recovery. I'd like to just circle back to those preventative measures on making lifts more safe. What, what tips and preventative measures would you suggest for in general? And then some more advanced ones, if you want to go into that as well. Yeah. So this is always an interesting thing to talk about because we can get really in the weeds when we talk about the research around injury prevention or mitigating risk. Uh, it can get really murky because you then have to define what an injury is. More often than not, people will define that as some sort of situation where an athlete is missing a certain amount of training time, has to take time off of their, their training as it normally would happen. So first, it's going to come down to progressive overload or thinking more broadly, you know, um, we can think of the stress that we have to endure in the gym for whatever our goals are and our overall capacity to handle it. So stresses are going to be the volume that we're lifting, the amount of weight that we're lifting. Um, but it's also going to be, you know, how well we're sleeping. Uh, are we adequately fueling for recovery and performance? Are we hydrating? There are a bunch of different things that go into it. And the general rule of thumb is if our, or if the stress exceeds our capacity to handle that stress or stress in general, that's when an injury might occur, whether it's a strain muscle or a fracture or whatever the case. So when it comes to lifting and how to avoid injury as much as possible, don't be an idiot is my first piece, you know? So if you, if you're going in, you're used to squatting twice a week and you're doing three sets of five on one day, and maybe you've got, I don't know, a hack squat and three sets of 10, it's probably not a great idea the next week to do five sets of five on the squat and four sets of 10 and just have these big jumps in volume or slap on a whole bunch of weight that you're not quite ready for. 
So make sure that you are progressively challenging yourself, but don't, don't be greedy. Don't be an idiot little by little. I mean, you mentioned the, the, the newbie gains earlier and man, if I could get those newbie gains back, that'd be amazing. So if you're new to lifting and you're able to put on five or 10 pounds every week, amazing, do that. But just, just make it appropriate, make the, the increases appropriate for you. That's number one. It's also an interesting conversation around technique and form. And there's, you know, different schools of thought in the research. You know, we can look at lifting with quote unquote, good form for a particular movement. How much does that impact injury risk? And it's just not a clear cut answer. However, the way I like to look at it is yes, lifting with lifting with certain form characteristics on one hand might make injury a little bit less likely, but really where I like to focus is making it as efficient as possible, mechanically speaking. So if we're deadlifting, we just can't lift as much weight with a big old rounded lumbar spine as we can with a more flat or neutral spine. Um, again, in the research, we find that even a flat looking lumbar spine actually has a good degree of flexion to it when you get some super sophisticated imaging. However, the point is we can feel better. We can lift more weight and lift more weight consistently when we have perhaps that stacked more neutral lumbar spine. So I'm a fan of that. Um, so again, learning, learning what the foundations of technique and form are is, is always going to be in style, in my opinion. And then the longer that you do it, the more that you can kind of play with the technique a little bit, depending on your limb lengths and your anatomy and what you find works well for you in certain contexts. But starting with, with pretty solid conventional form on these movements, learning how to get comfortable with them and, uh, being comfortable and consistent for a while, that's always a good, a good place. And it tends to help knock down that injury risk. Absolutely. And I think you make a, a good point about don't be an idiot. Unfortunately, I think that uh, the people that you need to tell not to be an idiot, they, they probably don't think it's them that you're talking to. No. Because ignorance is bliss in, in, the, in that sense. And also, if anyone's putting on five to 10 pounds of muscle a week, you mentioned the newbie gains, um, you should become a bodybuilder 100%. If you're putting on five to 10 pounds of muscle a week, yeah. Uh, bodybuilding is your calling. It's true. I met five to 10 pounds on the bar, but five to 10 pounds of muscle a week. Absolutely. Oh my word. I was going to say, I was oh. like, <laughs> I've never heard of that. I was like, that's completely insane. And I was, okay. If that makes so much more sense. Sorry. I, I was like, wow, that's, I'm, you're, I'm, that's incredible. Yeah. That was just some, this guy's eating 10,000 calories a week. And uh, you're looking at the next okay, Mr. Olympia. If they're putting Sorry. on five to 10 pounds of muscle. Literally. I was like, I was like, damn, this is a 50 pound kid. Okay. Five pounds. Okay. That he's eating a lot for the first time gymming. This is, but he's at now 55 in week one. You're this guy's doing well. It's going to be 60, but week two. That's, that's, that's absolutely mental. <laughs> so I think what would follow quite well from uh, talking about injuries would be talking about recovery from, from disease and from illness and things that we've both gone through recently, but you went through a much more difficult uh, with an autoimmune disease. Do you mind talking a little bit about what you went through and 
your experience and, and overcoming that and, and everything like that. Yeah, no, don't mind at all. So basically what happened for me was almost exactly a year ago, funny enough, is when I went into the hospital uh, before that for a few weeks, I thought I had just a regular head cold, excuse me, which my wife and my daughters had. They got better, but I didn't. And then I kept getting worse. And what ended up happening was uh, I had a, a rare autoimmune disease called HLH. The full name for it, if anybody's interested, is hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Um, and it's just a situation where the immune system starts to attack normal, healthy cells, especially red blood cells for me. And uh, there are two kind of main categories of HLH. One is genetic, which I didn't have. So usually that's something that occurs in like newborn infants. Uh, I had what's called secondary HLH, which means or is, is caused by either an infection, um, which I had in the Epstein-Barr virus is one of the, the main viruses associated with it or by cancer or by a different autoimmune disease. But what it meant for me was I got really sick really fast and I went to the hospital. I was admitted within about five to six days. I was in the, the intensive care unit um, and on life support. I had kidney failure, liver failure, uh, was getting really close to not making it, like down to the last treatment option. So uh, thankfully, I mean, obviously we're here. Thankfully I made it through. Um, I en ended up earning the name Miracle Man from some of the doctors and nurses in the ICU um, just with how things turned around and uh, it's been a long road to recovery because I went into the ICU weighing about 193 pounds and then I was heavily sedated uh, for five weeks as I was on life support and then when I woke up I was weighing about 150 so uh, I couldn't actually receive much nutrition at all um, could receive much nutrition at all while I was in there so what that meant was my body needed to sustain itself on the muscle that I had in my, on my body. Uh, and, it, and it ate up about 40 pounds of, of lean tissue. So that's why I said at the start of the show, um, I've always been in, you know, in favor or I've always loved getting strong as well as helping people. And this is the situation where, uh, if I needed to be strong to actually survive, because if I wasn't, then just wouldn't have made it through the ICU. So it was a wild ride, man. Sure. I'm so glad that you did make it. And it's very inspirational that you're back in the gym. And I believe that you're competing again in April. That's right. I signed up for a meet, uh, fun plot twist. That meet is not running anymore, not through any fault of my own, but uh, I got to find another meet. So I do plan to compete okay. at least a couple of times this year. So yeah, I'm back on the hunt now. That's phenomenal. And, and so interesting that you mentioned that the muscle ultimately saved your life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not something that uh, probably not ever something anyone plans on or expects, but, uh, you know, through my years of training again, about 17 at this point, uh, strength training, being in the gym, it's done a lot for me, uh, as far as developing mental resilience and toughness, being an outlet for stress. Um, it's something that allows me to be a better husband, a better father, better coach. 
And now this was just uh, a really extreme, very serious example of how it truly saved my life in that, you know, I needed that, that sustenance and, uh, the muscle effectively was like an insurance policy. I never knew I was investing into it, at least not like this, but thank God I, I did because it was there when I needed it. And it's part of why I'm so passionate now about helping people get as strong as possible, crush their goals. Um, not because I hope anybody goes through this. I hope no one ever does, but because, um, whether we're talking about keeping quality of life high, as we get into our sixties, seventies, eighties, and beyond, we know that having more muscle helps us do that. Uh, when it comes to, you know, doing stuff around the house, when you have to take all your groceries in, in one trip, you can do that. And, you know, if you ever need it, like I did, then it's there too. Uh, you can't do more than one trip with the groceries. It has to be one. It always you also like carry the you like I carry the groceries out in one trip. So how can you then need like, it doesn't make sense. I guess some people use a trolley, but you can't, yeah, you can't always be sure that the trolley is going to work. Right. You got stairs and things sometimes. What, what was the, the final treatment option that, that ultimately saved your life? Yeah. Well, so when it comes to HLH, there's sort of a standard protocol for treatment it usually involves chemotherapy, corticosteroids. Um, I think monoclonal antibodies are typically part of it too. And there might be some other medications that they bring in depending on the situation and what's going on. So for me, I was so sick that I couldn't actually get the full doses of the chemotherapy that they wanted to start me on. And I think the last option that we had was a round of monoclonal antibodies uh, before, yeah, before it was really about palliative options, like just the things they could do to make me comfortable while my body did whatever it was going to do. Um, and yeah, again, a lot of the treatment options were limited because of what I could handle. Cause it's kind of ironic that, you know, the things that might help to treat this disease are also toxic in them in and of themselves to a certain degree. So yeah, that's what it came down to for me. Sure. Well, I'm very glad that you got some of the few good doc, well, not the few, but some of the good doctors there to, to save your life. And, and that, that in conjunction with the muscle and everything that you've built up over your lifetime was able to pull you through. So that was very fortunate. Agreed. And I, I'm forever grateful exactly for those doctors, those nurses, um, all the, the health professionals who are involved in the journey. And, uh, again, we talked about, you know, helping people, uh, and also being strong. There were some, some of those professionals who, who lifted actually my, my plastic surgeon, cause I, I had to get a skin graft on my arm because one of the medicines in the ICU didn't go in the vein. It stayed in the skin and it damaged all of this. If anybody's listening, I'm just pointing to my left forearm. And, uh, so I had to have a skin graft there. And my plastic surgeon was awesome. He, he was super professional, but you ever meet those people who are really great at what they do, but you know, deep down, he's just a bro. Like you could go get a good lifting session in with him or drink a beer and it'd be awesome. Cause he was also jacked. So like, that was awesome. Um, but him and, and everybody else, uh, they did an incredible job and I, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have, have had them in my corner. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad that you had them. And I think you should uh, hit him up at some stage for a lifting sesh. 
I really should. So you get well. Yeah, you should. That would be, be super cool. So let's chat about bouncing back and strength coming back. And also, when we chatted, you were sitting at around 177 pounds, which means that you gained 27 pounds in a mere 10 months. Let's chat about all of that and getting back to it. Yeah, man. So I really started at ground zero. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because I already mentioned I lost about 40 pounds of, of lean tissue. And when you're lying in bed for about five weeks uh, and not moving, wouldn't recommend it uh, because then everything gets really, really hard, including just sitting up in bed where I would try to sit up and I didn't have the strength to actually do that at all or easily. And then my blood pressure had to get regulated. I'd get super dizzy. So I really had to learn how to sit up in bed, how to stand up, had to get my balance back. Uh, I couldn't walk at all unless I had a, a walker and people around me. Um, and then same thing with going to the bathroom. And like uh, when we talk about older adults and still keeping quality of life high into 60s, 70s, 80s, part of it is gravity doesn't get weaker. Gravity is always going to be good old 9.8 meters per second squared heading down. So when you sit down on the toilet and try to get back up, you have to be strong enough and powerful enough to do that. Uh, and I was not. So it was really ground zero and super basic rehab exercises. Talking yellow stretchy bands, talking sidestepping exercises. A large chunk of my exercise in the hospital was just learning to walk, starting to go for walks around the unit. Um, and that was a lot, but gradually progressed that. And then um, the process when I got discharged from the hospital, which was May 1st of last year, was still more of those basic rehab exercises, very light weights, yellow stretchy bands. And one of my teammates at, or team members for Unbreakable, his name is David. He's also a physiotherapist. He's also a powerlifter. Uh, I've coached him for an extended period of time, and now he's on my staff. He's one of my, my team coaches. So I asked him, Hey, would you mind helping to coach me? Cause I didn't want to be my own patient. Uh, I knew largely what to do, but I wanted somebody else to help me do it. Um, so I didn't have to think I could just be the athlete and he's been a, incredible. So yeah, we really kept progressing with those banded exercises and slightly heavier weights. And then I could finally, um, hold onto a barbell and do like some limited range Romanian deadlifts which was amazing. And then got back onto a bench and had my wife spotting me, had the, the safety straps set up in the rack just in case I wasn't strong enough to bench it off my chest, but I could. So that was another win and kind of kept reclaiming these pieces of training that normally I, I did do and now I am doing again very consistently. Um, but I had to be very okay with going through the process slowly and just, just doing it right. And, uh, and thankfully now we're at a place where rehab really just turned into training, uh, especially around like September, late August, early September of last year. And then it's just been a, a continued ride uphill as far as, you know, making the lifts a little more heavy. And, uh, now my training probably doesn't look a whole lot different than it would have before getting sick other than the numbers, but the numbers are coming back too. 
that's amazing to hear and I'm so stoked and I can't wait for you to be surpassing your original original numbers before you got sick. I'm sure you'll be back there sooner than sooner than we know. And um, let's talk about strength increases and muscle cell memory. Absolutely. So even before all this went down where I got sick, you know, we or I had heard of, you know, quote unquote, muscle memory, cell memory. And I've I've not read a lot of the research firsthand, but have read some research summaries about it, where if you if your body has been at a certain point, either a certain point of muscularity, lean tissue on your frame, or fat tissue, you know, certain level of adiposity, and then you change that, either you lose the muscle or you lose the fat, it's a lot easier to get back to that point than it was to get there in the first place for many folks. So I hmm, got to experience that firsthand because of all the lean tissue that I lost in the ICU. And then when I started to, when I started to be able to handle a little more stress, got to hang, hang on to the barbell in the gym and we started to get back into those limited range of Romanian deadlifts and stuff like that. And then my body uh, was a lot quicker than I would have thought to put that muscle back on, provided that I had sufficient nutrition to support it. Excuse me. And uh, I was not upset at it at all. It was wonderful to be able to see the scale weight go up you know, pretty steadily and to see uh, in the mirror or in my lifting videos, oh, shoot, I can see, I can see a vein. It looks like my arms are beefing up and my legs are filling up my pants more. Um, so that's continued. It, it still is continuing. I'm actually about 180 uh, in the couple of weeks that between our pre-show call and, and here. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful it'll keep, keep on rolling until we're at least where I was before. And then I still plan to gain some more because that's probably where I need to be to reach my strength potential as a six foot tall power lifter. That's super exciting. And, and I'm sure you're going to get there in absolutely no time. What's your training frequency at the moment or in general, what do you recommend? Yeah, for me, and it, it's also what I tend to recommend for most people who are training force either primarily for strength or at least have strength gains as a, a goal they care about. I train four days a week with weights and that seems to be a pretty decent frequency for most. Um, how the, the work in the gym is distributed might vary from person to person, but right now I'm squatting twice a week. I'm deadlifting twice. I'm benching three times and then I've got accessory work built in, uh, you could call my training right now kind of like power building since I'm trying to get stronger and build the numbers back up and also reclaim some of that, that lost muscle tissue. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a sweet spot for me. It has been for a long time and I find in general four times a week seems to work pretty well for most people. Sure. That's a lot of, uh, CNS for the three times a week bench, two times a week deadlifts, and two times a week squat. That's that's a big load for your central nervous system, eh? But I guess if it's only four times a week, you've got three rest days. So is that kind of why you do four versus five or six? Yes, that is a big reason. And you're right. It can be a lot of load on, this, on the CNS. Um, and that's really where I am a fan of, let's say you're looking at the two squat days. You'll probably have, <coughs> excuse me, 
one of those be like the primary or the heavier squat day. This The other day isn't always light per se, but I like using different variations that maybe really test certain pieces of the technique. So my heavy squat day might be a low bar squat. My other squat day right now is actually a safety squat bar, tempo front squat. If it sounds awful, it's because it is. Um, but it really challenges your, or your, or my position to stay upright, helps to build some of the upper back strength. So it's naturally limiting the amount of absolute load that I can use. Um, even though it feels really hard because it's sets of eight and it's a three count tempo on the way down. And that's another example of how I like to play with variables when I'm helping somebody either a, just get strong or B come back from an injury. I like to play with exercise variation so that someone can still feel like they're training hard, even if the absolute load they're lifting is lower and it doesn't fry their CNS. It doesn't stress out their injury area too much. Um, I also really like to use variations that they haven't tried before, mostly because I mean, you tell me if you relate to this, but when I've been injured before, say I've pulled my back, uh, and then I try to go do some sort of deadlift in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I should be able to lift 405 really easy today, but maybe all I can do on that day is 250, 275. And it feels like a really big gap between where I should be quote unquote and where I am. But if I'm doing, oh, let's say it's a, let's say it's an opposite stance. If I'm a conventional deadlifter, maybe it's sumo and it's, uh, a sumo deficit forest deadlift with chains and i'm just throwing out a really wild variation i have no reference point for what i should lift that you know in that variation which i find is really useful one in an injury context if we take the elements of that lift and try to make it so that it's not pissing off the injury too much the range of motion is good the amount of weight and the tempo can all play nicely with the person's body great. And then it's also nice because if we don't have that frame of reference, we're not thinking we should be at a certain amount of weight. We're usually more able to make a smart decision and we're back to not being an idiot. So yeah, it's, there are ways to manipulate it and still kind of scratch the itch of getting in the gym, lifting something hard. Absolutely. And I feel completely, completely the same. Um, when I, I've had, like I've mentioned multiple injuries, but the most recent one was a back injury from deadlifts and it was basically, yeah, it was, it was not a good one. It was one where I was, I, I'd come back from, from a festival and I hadn't slept properly. I hadn't gotten my nutrition in and I, at that stage, my PR was 235 kilograms and I was like, cool, I'm going to just do two, 220. And I'd previously done 220 for, for five reps. So I was like, okay, it's fine. Let's do 220 for three reps because yeah, you, know, you didn't sleep well. And it's just three reps, three reps. So my logic back then, which was flawed, was I'm not going to take time between the reps. I'm just going to grip it and rip it. I'm just going to do three quickly because then if it's done quickly, it's over and then you don't have to worry. But uh, I, I didn't really do quick deadlifts up until then. For some like i don't know why i felt it was a special day to do it quickly 
And so I did it so quickly and I'm like, I know how to do a deadlift. Like I do deadlifts all the time. Like my form is good just, you know, because I'm so used to doing it, but without thinking and without, and with really just focusing on gripping and ripping it, my form went absolutely shoddy. And on the third rep, my back went and, uh, yeah. And then the next week I was obviously off for a while. I literally started deadlifting with just my arms, no, no bar, nothing. And then every week after that, 10 kilograms, 20 kilograms, 30 kilograms. And I'm back now to hopefully around 200 about, but it's really been incremental. And that gap that you mentioned, a gap of 235 kilograms is, it's a big gap. And it's like, yo, I, I'm not happy with that, but getting back to it and, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to to surpass that. And my, my new PR is 240 now, so I'm hoping nice. to get 250 by the end of the year. But uh, that gap is is really really challenging. But guys, just take it slow. Um, oh, but whenever you mention someone mentions uh, chains, I can't think of anyone except for that guy on Instagram or YouTube or whatever who does the. It's called the. I'm not sure exactly, but basically the walking, carrying man something, and he's on a skateboard with chains and deadlifting in a helmet, and it's just the it's the least stable deadlift I've seen, and also he has insane weight on the bar. Wow. I I must send you the video; it's completely insane. And then he does like a kickflip on the on the board, and I'm just like, that is that's our new this king. guy doesn't care. No, he literally he just doesn't care about anything he'd sometimes I think he's done like a, a BOSU ball as well and but like when I say he has weight he has proper weight and then things hanging from his head he has things like it's just it's just absolutely insane so that's all I can think of when you mention chains and and some kind of variation I don't recommend doing it on a skateboard I don't recommend doing it on a BOSU ball definitely do a little variation but don't don't make it unstable at least no that we talked about reducing injury risk that's a great way to increase it a lot uh, but you got to send me that. I, I have to see that. That's amazing. I, I will do it. It's completely insane. Um, and it's actually this guy is he's American. He's he's that guy that's never been injured before. He has to be that guy. We're talking that hypothetical guy because it, I'll send it. It's just too much. So let's chat a little bit about nutrition mm -hmm. because obviously you mentioned that a big part of losing a lot of muscle and not being able to maintain size and things was due to you not being able to get nutrition. So let's, let's touch on nutrition and then after that briefly on supplements. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, again, mine was kind of an extreme example where I couldn't receive nutrition. I was largely unconscious because of I was being sedated. Um, so couldn't take anything in my mouth. I also couldn't breathe on my own. So that was an issue. So all severely limited what I could take in leading to how much muscle I lost, um, recovering in the hospital, uh, recovering in the hospital was also a head trip because this is something that I certainly didn't think about until I was facing it head on. When you lie in bed for five weeks, your throat musculature atrophies too. Normally throughout our days, we eat, we drink, we speak, we swallow. Not a big deal. When you don't do that for an extended period of time, uh, then it's actually not safe to eat or drink because you could choke on it and potentially die like that too. So I had a, a tube uh, down my nose into my stomach for a while where they would give me nutrition that way. And then I eventually had a tube directly into my stomach 
uh, where they would supplement the nutrition as I worked on getting my throat muscles back so I could eat and drink. And, and it's all back now, which is, I'm very grateful for it. Um, and really the big focus for nutrition through that recovery time frame was getting enough calories in and then primary or enough calories in for one and also making sure there was enough protein in that caloric intake to support the, the muscle building, muscle protein synthesis and all that. So that's continued. Um, and I'm able to, again, eat normally. I have always, or for a long time since I started trying to train for bodybuilding, which I never competed in, but, uh, I trained for it for a while before powerlifting. I started tracking my, my food. I use an app to do that. It's just something that works well for me. So I'm able to keep tabs on how much protein, carbs, fats, and total caloric intake I have, just making sure that the scale weight's going up. We're seeing what we want to see, making changes as needed. And for when it comes to, you know, nutrition more broadly for anybody who's trying to build muscle, get stronger, see the results thereafter in the gym, it really does come down to those basic principles. There are nuances to nutrition, but if you're trying to gain weight, you need to be eating in a surplus. If you're trying to lose weight, you need to be in a deficit. If you're trying to maintain, then you need to be roughly at maintenance. Um, you can split up the energy intake a bunch of different ways, depending on what works for you and your digestive system, your lifestyle, your schedule. I'm not, I don't have strong feelings at all when it comes to things like intermittent fasting or ketogenic diets or a kind of a typical mixed diet between the macronutrients. I think that's where a lot of the variants may come in. I would point anybody considering what diet should I, um, should I follow? Probably that's where you want to bring in a, uh, like a registered dietitian or someone who's a professional in that area to find what's right for you, but got to make sure you're eating appropriate amounts for your goal. You want to make sure you're having enough protein. So that's probably somewhere between I think it's 0.8 to 1.2 grams per kilo of body weight. Um, is a range that tends to float up quite a bit. Um, and then make sure you're getting enough fats to support normal bodily functions. Maybe you fill in the rest with carbs, or maybe you do whatever you want with the rest of the calories to hit your target. And then it's about consistency as well as hopefully eating mostly whole unprocessed foods. Um, I'm a fan of having, you know, some fun foods in there wherever you want, but, uh, just largely eating unprocessed stuff, trying to get fruits and vegetables in, um, all the unsexy stuff that most of us have heard a hundred times already, but continues to be true. So that's where I kind of sit with it. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think whole foods are where it's at. Try and get as much whole foods as you can. And, um, yeah, like you said, you can have the odd snack and the odd processed thing. I just make sure it is odd and not uh, regular, I guess. I mean, actually you do what you want, um, but don't be surprised if you're not getting the results, if you're doing just what you want, I guess, all the time. Yes. And in terms of supplementation, what supplements do you recommend? Which ones are not like nonsense? Uh, which ones are good? Yeah, I'm, I'm a minimalist when it comes to supplements. I find that the, the ones that seem worth it are some sort of protein, supplement. Mostly I view it really as another food source, just another way to make sure that protein levels are where you need them to be day to day. I'm a big fan of whey protein, but there are a bunch of other sources, whether it's soy or 
pea or other plant-based, you know, sources. Uh, there, there are different options based on what works for your digestive system, what your preference is. I'm all for that, but some sort of protein supplement, creatine monohydrate, uh, and, and not any of the fancy other types of creatine so far. I haven't seen any research to support that, but good old creatine monohydrate has been probably the most studied and supported supplement for actual return on investment as far as muscle gain and strength performance, um, or strength output in the gym. I like caffeine. Uh, I would highly recommend people to be wise with their caffeine intake, especially with regards to sleep, because sleep is one of the most anabolic and necessary things we need to do to get stronger, build muscle, the things that we care about in the gym, all the hard work in the gym, we need to sleep so that we can actually repair and rebuild and recover. Uh, and caffeine intake, especially too close to bedtime, that is going to interfere to some degree with either sleep quality or quantity. So, um, that said, I still am a fan of using caffeine as an ergogenic or, you know, pre-workout supplement, whether by itself or in a pre-workout formulation. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd lump this into maybe a daily multivitamin, uh, maybe some other vitamins and minerals, but that's with the disclaimer of me not being a registered dietitian or nutritionist like that. But based on what I've seen and my own personal experience, that's kind of where I put the, what I'd say would be worth the money. Everything else is kind of un, uh, remains to be seen how effective it is. But again, you could, people can experiment and by all means, let me know what you find. Absolutely. And I think it's an important one you mentioned there about people experimenting, like, if, if something works for you, that's, that's great. Like use it. We, it doesn't mean it works for everyone, but definitely try new things and see what works. What um, macro ca calculator do you use? Right. Yeah. Right now I use carbon diet coach. Uh, if anybody's familiar with Lane. Oh, really? Yeah. By, um, Lane Norton. You got it. There we go. Sorry. Dr. Dr. Lane Norton. Norton. <laughs> no, I get it right. Bio, bio lane. Shout out. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And it, you're enjoying it. Is it, is it everything that, uh, he, he says, he says it is. It is. Yeah. I, I like Lane a lot. <clears throat> Fun fact, actually, I was at, uh, IPF masters worlds in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada in October of 2022. Uh, one of my lifters, she's from Finland. She competed. So I flew out and I coached her on the day. It was awesome. I was an honorary team Finland member. Um, Lane competed and he won. Uh, I believe it was the 93 kilo men's masters one category. He crushed it. Uh, so I was sitting at the, the dinner table at the banquet and team USA was right next to the team Finland table. So I saw Elaine and I was definitely like fanboying a lot. I was like, I should go talk to him. I didn't, I let him enjoy his dinner with his team. Uh, but Aww. I like Lane a lot. Uh, and I think he does a, a very fair job representing what carbon does. I've used it now for coming on two years and it's great, very easy to use. Uh, it makes life a lot simpler. I've used all the different functions at this point, gain weight, lose weight, maintain, or, uh, recomp. I think those are the four and it's awesome. So very worth it to me. That's great. And I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. And to the listeners, I think we mentioned that looking for a nutritionist or someone to get nutritional advice from uh, Dr. Lane Norton, AKA BioLane, 
he's he seems to be really good he's got a doctorate in nutrition and the thing i really like about him is that he he does disclaimers like for example if he's associated with a company and he's promoting he say listen like i do have incentive to be promoting this but at the same time i do think it's good and this is why and then he shows the science and he's also not afraid to um call people out and he's also not afraid to admit when he's wrong he does have very very strong opinions um and then they're normally right um sometimes he can be a little bit too much but that's part of his character and part of his charm i guess agreed that's the same reason that i or reasons that i like him a lot he's very transparent he does disclaimers he has usually pretty strong reasons not usually he always has strong reasons for believing what he does you're right he can be a bit abrasive personally it's part of why i love him uh but yeah he's it's just someone to be aware of if you're going to go experience, have the lane experience for the first time. But I, I'm grateful that we have him, especially in the, the realms of sport, nutrition, training. Uh, he helps to cut through a lot of the BS, which is awesome. And there's so much, there's so much BS, like, and it's mainstream as well. That's what worries me. It's super mainstream and people, they, they hear big words and they're like, okay, that's fact. And it might be a fact, but the thing is, it's been taken out of context normally. And just like, it's it's actually insane what you like. And he's done some really cool things where he shows you how you can get away with saying some absurd things, which actually might be true or have some kind of truth on a rat, for example. And if you're like, oh, it works on a rat, therefore, and you can't just, you can't extrapolate. Like, unless you're a rat listening, uh, <laughs> Let me know because that would be pretty cool. I mean, rats listening, but uh, uh, no, like you can't you can't say because it works on a rat, it's going to work in a human. Exactly the same because we both live and breathe, you know, oxygen. It's like, okay, similar enough for some. It's true. Well, on that too, I mean, you're exactly right. Um, I'm going to butcher what Lane often says in his YouTube videos, but mechanisms don't equal meaning or something like that. Where you can find a mechanism in an animal model or even in human model or whatever, but then you have to look at the details. Okay, cool. That was like a 75,000 time dose of that particular chemical. No one's taking that in. Um, so, you know, he, he highlights the, the flaws there. And this is where I have a soft spot for kind of your typical consumer. And I'd say, especially the people who aren't in maybe our space into training, nutrition, maybe they're maybe they are maybe they're new though and you're right there's a lot of mainstream stuff on social media on tv whatever the form is people with big following saying stuff that sounds authoritative they're using sciencey sounding language we can't you know find necessarily where they're wrong if we don't have that background or aren't trained in actually looking at the research firsthand so i have a, i feel for those people because you're just trying to figure out what's true what do i need to care about um, how can I build muscle, lose weight, get healthier for myself and my family? And it, it's hard. So, you know, I, I've seen that example quite a bit with different people in my own life. So that's, I think, coming full circle to what we mentioned earlier in the show, where try to trying to find reliable sources, um, reliable and very transparent sources, Lane being an example for other people like, I'm a big fan of Greg Knuckles. I'm a fan of um, Jeff Nippard, you know, other people in our, our space 
for those reasons. They'll tell you what they think. They'll tell you why they'll show you the research. They'll also disclose any biases. And if they don't know the answer, they'll point you to someone who probably does. And that just, it's a good starting point. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think the uh, might be a different one, but in terms of the mechanisms that you mentioned, uh, one of his things that he often says is cause uh, correlation doesn't imply causation. And I think that that he made some, some really interesting things about something that's correlated, but completely unrelated. And it just shows you that it, it, it really doesn't. It's true. One of my favorite uh, examples of correlation, not equaling ca causation, which came in my undergrad it was a statistics class, uh, was looking at the rates of homicide in a particular city and the rates of ice cream sales. And the correlation would suggest that ice cream sales equal increased murder. Uh, but in reality, it was having more to do with like the murder rate increased in the summertime when it was hot and like other factors. But just to really drive home that same point, correlation doesn't equal causation. It illustrates some sort of relationship, but there could be a lot of factors that influence it too. Stay away from Yeah, I stream will kill you. <laughs> or, or, or the people in your town will kill you because you're eating too much That's ice right. cream. And the other thing, the, the last little thing on these um, so-called uh, experts, some of them are highly educated and have doctorates and PhDs, and even some have medical degrees. And they just like i'm like you are so smart like don't get me wrong you have a top education you have a doctorate like you're not messing around but you're not being honest like or you're not reading the study or you're like i don't know what incentive some people have from from some of the things they say like it's just it doesn't make sense but uh, then you do a little bit of research like lane does and it's like oh he actually owns has shares in this company and it's like like where's your integrity yeah it's a great point. And I think it, it really shows how, you know, at every level of education, of wealth, of status, of any metric, people are people. And unfortunately, it means that, you know, there are going to be biases and, uh, you know, whatever that can influence or taint uh, what sort of stuff they say or do. So, again, fully agree. Uh, all the more reason to be grateful for the people who aren't afraid to call that out. Um, and especially the ones who aren't afraid to call it out and provide a better alternative for information, for stuff that we can follow along and place our trust in. Absolutely. You make an excellent point about also providing like a better solution than just calling it out. It's super easy to be like, okay, not, not that then like, okay, well then, then what, but you make a good point about then going the one step further to then say, how about this one or this resource? Absolutely. So in closing, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show. I think your journey is inspirational and I think you've got to show a lot of passion and motivation to be doing what you're doing and coming back and giving it horns. And I'm super excited to be watching your journey. Do you have anything you'd like to say in closing? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, man. Uh, it's an honor and I really appreciate the kind words. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, with my story and my journey and, and also the, the work that I am doing, that it makes a positive impact and just helps more people get strong and 
again, strength saved my life uh, in an unexpected way. So now my mission is to pay it forward. Um, as far as final words, I would encourage anybody and everyone who's listening, who's working hard towards a goal, or maybe you're thinking about making a change for yourself, whether that's uh, embarking on a new weight loss or muscle building journey or improving your health or taking a shot at a competition in whatever sport or discipline. Um, I'd encourage you to embrace the embrace the suck, if it will, or if you will, um, hard things. I don't know. I'm just going to butcher it again. A few things that are worth having or doing are easy. So the hard things are probably worth it if it aligns with where you want to be. And yeah, uh, I'd encourage you also to reach out to anybody who can help or at least go on the journey with you, people who can cheer you on, celebrate the wins, people who you can learn from and make the journey more fun. Uh, and if I can do that for anybody, uh, I'm an open book. So feel free, shoot me a message. I'd love to chat and just hear what your journey looks like. Just drop your Instagram so people can can get you. Yeah, that'd be jared.unbreakablestrength. Uh, come find me, come hang out. Would love to chat. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it and all the best. Thanks, man. You too. Goodbye, Gains Gurus. Thank you for listening and see you on the next episode of TMGP.